Back to Marner, feeds it down to Sandy. In a backhand touch, go Welcome, welcome, welcome inside episode 1005 of the Talk and Audio podcast. My name's Matt Robinson. Happy to be chatting with you guys today. Uh, if you want to let us know what you guys are thinking, if you're enjoying these shows, uh, give us your opinion on uh, on some of the topics that we're covering here. You can hit us up anywhere on social media at Tall Can Audio, or uh, as always, feedback at TallCanAudio.com. And uh, wherever you're hearing us on your podcast app there, make sure you're subscribed, make sure you're following along, and we would love it if you would take a second and just leave a rating. It only takes, like I said, just takes a moment, but uh, it makes a big deal for us. It helps with the algorithms, all the shit that Apple and Spotify and those guys use to uh, to rank these shows, help them become more discoverable. Uh, if you just take a second and uh, and leave a star rating, and uh, if you feel like it, a comment or a review or whatever, that's cool too, but uh, that would help us out a great deal. I want to let you guys know that on the next episode on uh, Tuesday morning, as everybody heads back to school, heads back to work, that'll be episode 1006. Our friend Vanessa Sanchez is going to be back. You may remember her from her previous appearance on the show. Uh, she's also Michaela's co-host on uh, She's Got Game on TSN Radio and a part-time singer on uh, Michael Bolton's tours. We're excited to uh, to have her back to talk about that. Uh, of course, Serena Williams, the Women's World Hockey Championships, anything else that might be in the news at that point. Uh, looking forward to having Vanessa back as well. It's also going to be a big September. We've got a bunch of irons in the fire here. Uh, some names that uh, we're pretty sure are going to be on in September. Mark Gowdy is the head of the uh, Ottawa Sports and Entertainment Group, oversees the Red Blacks and the 67s. Uh, traded a couple tweets with him. He's into it. He's down to come in, so uh, so we'll do that uh, sometime in September. Also, Sean Fitzgerald from The Athletic. He's been on a bunch of times, covers the uh, sports media industry. For those guys, I want to talk to him about the death of Leafs TV. Also kind of the the stress right now that TSN is probably feeling in dealing with uh, Hockey Canada. They just went through a World Junior that have, you know, really didn't get any kind of buzz. Part of that is, of course, going to be the fact that it's in August. But Hockey Canada is still out there just making all the wrong steps at this point. And uh, so we're going to talk to Sean Fitzgerald about uh, those things. Also, Dave Bedini, the, uh, the lead singer from the Rio Statics. He's been on before. He's also written a bunch of books on hockey, including one. On the 1972 Summit Series, and this year is 50 years since the Summit Series, and uh, he is involved with a group that has put together a production that is going to air on CBC. It's a documentary series talking about, uh, you know, about the series, you know, why it was so groundbreaking and uh, why we remember it so fondly, why after 50 years so many people are still talking about it, even people who uh, who weren't around. Uh, Dave Bedini is a huge part of that production. So he's going to be back on the podcast as well. It's going to be a busy September. We got other guests coming up as well, other things coming at you. Uh, like I said, if you are not subscribed yet to the podcast on your uh on your podcast app of choice, go ahead and hit follow, hit subscribe. We're going to have a good month and uh, and lots more to come moving forward. Beer. We got beer. There's a beer to dry today. This is from uh, the Refined Fool Brewing Company as I continue to work my way through uh, the pack that our friend Josh dropped off after episode 1000. So shout out to him. Uh, Refined Fool, if you're uh, not familiar, they're down in Sarnia. And uh, this was an entirely IPA pack. So I've been working my way through that over the last couple episodes. This is called the Single Friend IPA. And uh, it's clocking in at 7%. And uh, I've never tried this one before. Like I said, I think going into the pack that Josh dropped off, 
the only thing from Refined Fool I believe I'd ever tried was the Van Full of Weirdos IPA, which I've always enjoyed. It's a nice one. Uh, so we're uh, we're continuing to make our way through that. And like I said, this is the uh, the single friend cold IPA coming in at seven percent. We'll see what that one's all about here. Uh, that's pretty nice. Uh, it's definitely got that kind of hoppy IPA kick to it, but it's very smooth, very clean, right? Uh, and it does say that that's what they're going for in the description. So it appears they have hit that on the head. But, uh, yeah, that's not a bad IPA at all. Um, like I said, it's, uh, it's one you could absolutely, would, I, I think the cool kids are calling it crushable. Uh, you could absolutely sit down and crush a few of these um, on a hot summer day. We're running out of those, though, as uh, we are down to the short strokes here before Labor Day. And before you know it, that gets hockey back up and running. The main reason I wanted to do this was I wanted to talk a little about the Leafs. And they often get so neglected and, and don't get the attention that they deserve. As we sit here in late August, early September, kind of figured people would want to hear more about the Toronto Maple Leafs and mainly about where things stand with Rasmus Sandin. So we're going to get into that in just a second as, you know, speaking of your single friend, that is Kyle Dubas's one single friend left that uh, he has not yet dealt with, not yet cleaned things up with. So we're going to get to that in just a second. But before we do, let's talk a little about the Buffalo Sabres. I know, nobody expected me to say that. No one ever talks about the Buffalo Sabres. Why would you? Uh, but it is August, and they are about the only team making any kind of news right now in the NHL as they lock up Tage Thompson to a seven-year contract worth $50 million, just over 7.1 per season. And Thompson had a huge year last year. 38 goals, 68 points, a huge breakout year for the Sabres. Guy was all over the place, uh, absolutely got it done, and... I guess if you assume that that's what he is moving forward now, then 7.1 for seven years, not bad. Uh, I'm not convinced. And I'm not really sure why the Sabres were in such a rush to do this. He is still a year away from RFA status. So uh, no one was going to come in and and pick your pocket with an offer sheet. There was no arbitrator that was going to come in and force you to pay him. They had all the leverage here. And there is nothing in his history that we're going to touch on here in a moment that says this is who this guy is going to be moving forward. That doesn't mean it's impossible. Maybe he is now a perennial 30, 35, 40 goal scorer. But that is a hell of a gamble. And this contract has all the potential in the world to bring you many, many LOLs over the next couple of years. Let's take a look at the numbers here and let's focus mainly on his five on five scoring because look, a lot of things go haywire. He's not a PK guy on the power play. Everybody's numbers get elevated for obvious reasons. So let's just look at five on five, his true goal scoring numbers, his true percentages here and realize that last year the guy shot 14%. That is, it's not crazy high in the NHL for real goal scorers for long time established snipers, but it's pretty high. Um, you know, for your average guys, which up until this point, Tage Thompson had always been. And if you want to dive into that a little bit, before the 2021-2022 season, Tage Thompson in the National Hockey League had been a 5.5% shooter at 5-on-5. Five five. There's a lot of fives in there. At 5-on-5, five five, he was a 5.5% shooter before last season in the NHL. Guys have breakouts. Sometimes it just takes a little time to figure out who you are, what you're going to be, get accustomed to that level. It's not impossible that 
last year he finally figured it out and this is who he is now, like I said. But prior to last year, 5.5 shooting percentage. If you want to talk about long-term, how this guy's done, making his way up through the uh, the pro level, we can look at his games in the AHL. AHL sometimes can be hard to read. Sometimes young guys have a hard time scoring there. But over the course of his AHL career, he shot just over 10% throughout his entire time in the AHL. So again, not 14, not sniper territory. Just kind of right there in that meaty part of the curve. And just for fun, and uh, if you want, I'm using the numbers. If you want to check them for yourself, this is Jonathan Willis from The Athletic. Uh, wrote an article on this uh, that I've used, gone back and, and make sure I've got all this correct. In college, the year that the St. Louis Blues made him a first-round pick, Tage Thompson had, wait for it, one five-on-five goal in 30-odd games uh, in college hockey. So never really been... I get it. They like his frame. They like the the, the way he can do a lot of things in the NHL. And he, like I said, he was drafted by the Blues. Um, but in that draft year, just one five on five goals across 30 odd games in, in college hockey throughout his entire college career, 70 some odd games, 13 five on five goals. So this guy's never, never been a just lighted up sniper that you should count on for 38 goals per season. And like I said, Buffalo still had him by the nuts. He's years away from having any sort of control on what he's going to do, where he's going to go, how he's going to make his own decisions. He's still a year away from even RFA status where other teams might be able to come in and make an offer sheet on him. To go ahead and give this guy seven years, $50 million, based on one season where he tripled his NHL shooting percentage is that shit crazy. And if he goes out this year and does it again, then whatever. You have to turn around and, and give him that. And maybe it's a bit more. If he's suddenly a perennial 35 goal guy, you know, what are they going to get on the wing in Buffalo after two years, still with a bit of control and RFA status? Maybe it costs you $8 million instead of $7 million. But there was no reason for the Sabres to do this. There was no pressure on them whatsoever. And to just go out and assume that one year where he shot three times his usual shooting percentage, you give that guy seven years at $50 million. I don't know. I don't know what you're thinking. That was a terrible play. And like I said, it may yet work out. Maybe it doesn't turn out to be terrible, but there was no reason at all to do this. And um, I'm as a, as a guy who kind of likes to watch the Sabres fail, which I've had plenty of opportunity to do. Over the course of my uh, my fandom, this uh, this has great potential to make me laugh. Speaking of teams who I've seen fail far too often, let's talk about your Toronto Maple Leafs. Because when uh, a rival like the Sabres, a team that kind of resides very close in the division, obviously, and in that geographic region, um, makes a signing per- almost... Without fail, you can predict that someone is going to make this about the Leafs. And, uh, of course, Sabres fans immediately went to comparing this to uh, William Nylander, as did Leaf fans, to be honest with you, and talk about, you know, William Nylander at 6.9 versus Tage Thompson at 7.1. I'll take Tage Thompson all day, of course, was the conversation. 
Nylander himself, of course, just rolling in off another 30-goal, 80-point season. Um, I don't know. It's a ridiculous comparison. And it, it always boils down, and we'll get into this a little bit when we talk about Sandine, to how Dubas failed and, and didn't get any of this right, and none of these contracts are, are justified. Look, the only one of these, as it pertains to that group of the big four, big five now with Riley, that was a clear overpay on day one was Marner. Matthews is fine. Nylander's fine. Tavares actually took less to come home. And I know people want to fall all over themselves to say that that's not working out. But the guy has been incredible. And even last year, coming off having his head caved in and his knee blown out, he still put up a point a game. We'll see what he looks like this year. Yeah, another year older, but also with a full offseason to actually train. Not worried about Tavares. I just... There's something about people who who just can't let this go, that that Dubas has bungled this, and it, it kind of morphed into a conversation about Michael Bunting. And why wouldn't it? It's August on Twitter. Why shouldn't we talk about our seventh or eighth best forward? Uh, Michael Bunting got locked up to a two-year contract with the Leafs last year at under a million dollars. And almost universally, people thought that was a fantastic gamble. And it couldn't have panned out any better. He put up 63 points. That's better than what Bo Horvat did. That's better than what Ryan O'Reilly did. And that's better than what Tyler Bertuzzi put up. Now, Bertuzzi maybe is unfair since he missed all those games in Canada. By choice, of course. The only three players who will be 27 or younger and are going to be unrestricted after this coming season, who put up more points than Michael Bunting, David Pasternak, Nathan McKinnon, and Dylan Larkin. So, as the conversation goes now on Twitter, how will Dubas be able to fit Michael Bunting in at the end of this season when he's unrestricted? Has he boxed himself in? Has he created another huge problem? And the simple answer, guys, honestly, and this is going to suck to hear, is he won't. This is the plan. Figure it out. Whether you believe in it or not, as long as Dubas is at the helm, and unless one of his big four guys demands out of town or he ships one away, the plan will be to look for bargains like Michael Bunting, bring them in, hope they work out, and when they eventually do work, if you've gambled successfully, they will price themselves out and leave. You saw it last year with Andre Kasha, who was only on a one-year deal, and when he was healthy, he was pretty good. Now, by all accounts, the Leafs apparently offered him very similar money to what he ended up accepting in Carolina, so... I don't know if that was a, you know, was he unhappy? I'm not sure. Apparently, he's like best buds with David Kampf, and that was one of the reasons he agreed to come to Toronto in the first place. Um, maybe he sees more opportunity in Carolina. Maybe he just thinks Carolina's a better bet to go deep in the playoffs, which is not a crazy gamble to make. Um, but this is what Dubas is doing. And so, yeah, it's pretty unlikely that he's going to be able to keep Michael Bunting. That doesn't make it a failure. That's part of the plan. That's what he's doing right now. I would highly recommend you not fall in love with anyone not named Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares, or Riley. Just about anyone else is up for grabs. Might be gone. Might be brought in on a cheap deal and allowed to to just leave 
might be shipped away to allow for more cap space. This is the plan. And you can hate the plan. I'm not trying to convince you that it's going to work or not. I'm telling you that the fact that Michael Bunting might leave because someone's going to offer that guy, I don't know, if he puts up another 63-point season, another 25-goal season, would it be crazy that someone might offer him $4 million next year? At least three? That guy's going to get paid, and it won't be by Toronto. But you had him for two years to play with your guys at nine hundred grand. That's the play. That's the plan. And as long as this is what he's doing, and at least for two more years, until the cap hopefully explodes, or Austin Matthews leaves and you're in big trouble anyway, this is what he's going to keep doing. And so... I would highly recommend, like I said, that you not fall in love with any of these guys, but also that you look at this a little more objectively in terms of what Dubas is actually trying to do. Michael Bunting's probably going to leave after this season. Enjoy what you get out of him at 900 grand and hope you can find another one of them next year. Just like Kasha. Coming in, taking a risk on him, coming off an injury, hope you get something out of him. Just like Mikheyev, who clearly was worth a look, came over, performed pretty well for you, and then went and got paid in Vancouver. This is how it works now. This is what they're going to do. It's not a failure. What is the the meme or the, the Twitter expert? It's not a It's not a bug. It's a feature. Rasmus Sandin remains unsigned as we sit here headed uh, into September 1st. And this was always going to be complicated. I don't think any of us really thought it would be this complicated and that he wouldn't be signed at this point. Maybe we should have. Maybe we should have seen this coming because clearly there's more to this than the money. He's feeling kind of boxed in or boxed out, maybe is a better term. He wants to see a path. And of course, the counter argument in sports would be you make your own path. You create, you know, you play so well that you create a spot for yourself in the lineup and give us no choice but to play you. But as a young player, it's not crazy, you know, to see where he thinks he's been mistreated a little bit. If you go back to 2020, the league shuts down. He had been playing reasonably well, uh, but the league shuts down. Eventually, in August, we end up in the bubble playing uh, Columbus. And he's on the outside looking in. And when Jake Muzzin has that really scary injury, remember, it was his neck and his head. I think it was on a play with Dubois behind the goal. And it was already horribly eerie because of the empty arena. But it was a serious injury and, and he was out. They went to Martin Marinson instead of to Sandine. And... You know, he was a young player. Maybe that was the right play. But it was sort of, I'm sure, in his head, a, a, a slight, right? A, you don't trust me. You don't think I'm ready. Uh, this year, Sandine's playing a little bit more in the 2021-2022 series, and he gets injured again. By the time he gets back, they've traded for Mark Giordano. And Muzzin is back in, and Giordano's playing well with Liljegren, and uh, obviously, at the time, they, they did sit Hall down a couple times and give everybody a look. Uh, but Justin Hall is playing reasonably well, way better than he did early on in the season. You have Brody and, and Riley. And Sandine becomes the odd man out again. 
And no doubt he felt a little boxed out there. And then the Leafs go out and re-sign Giordano. And I don't think that was the wrong move by the Leafs. But we did say on this show at that time, you're going to have a hard time explaining this to Sandine. That doesn't mean you don't do it. When Mark Giordano, who is clearly no longer a Norris caliber defenseman, but is still very good. When he's willing to come and play for you for $800,000, you make that move. You do it. Even if it's just for depth. I don't know whether or not they plan for him to play 82 games this season or if it's for depth. I'm sure he wouldn't have agreed to this if they had said to him, yeah, you're probably going to be our number seven or our number eight. But Sandine's got to look at that again and go, hey, man, where am I playing? Because Muzzin, Giordano, and Riley are pretty much locked in on that left side. That's going to leave Brody. I sort of thought they might trade Hall this offseason. That didn't materialize. Liljegren's on the right side. So even if Sandine, and by all accounts, it doesn't sound like he's that interested in doing it, but even if he was interested in playing on the right side, they don't seem that interested in letting him do it, and they don't really have a spot for him to do it. They've also got some depth guys, Victor Mete and Jordy Ben. Uh, He ranks ahead of those guys, but they're in the mix, right? They have other options. They're not feeling the pressure to run out and make sure Rasmus Sandin is signed and happy. Now, by all accounts, they've offered him a fairly similar contract to what they just locked up Liljegren to, which is two years and $1.4 million. Now, Liljegren was drafted a year ahead of Sandin. It was a first-round pick at the time, and... He had some catching up to do. He'd missed a lot of his draft year. I believe it was with Mono that he was out with. And that was one of the reasons a lot of people, uh, you know, especially, you know, some of your advanced scouts and stuff thought that it might have been a steal where you got Liljegren, which I think was at 17. Um, because he had projected to be much higher than that before this this case of Mono. Now, he had some catching up to do and progress was slow. And it seemed like a lot of people were almost ready to give up on him. And this year, he stepped into the lineup, and for the most part, he was really good um, for a rookie season. And they kind of changed his game around a little bit. They kind of took some of the offense away in favor of making him a little more reliable, a little bit better, you know, in terms of playing two ways. And when they had Giordano brought in, they paired those guys up. And it seemed to work really well. That veteran presence alongside Liljegren to kind of help teach him. Not dissimilar to Ron Hainsey playing with Morgan Riley uh, for a while until that got stale. And Ron Hainsey kind of broke down and was no longer capable of playing uh, first pair with Morgan Riley. I digress. This seemed to work. And then they started the playoffs. I think Liljegren played game one, maybe only game one. And he was getting pushed around a bit. He wasn't strong enough. He was kind of getting pushed off the puck in the defensive zone in front of the net. So there's still things to work on there. But he had shown more than enough that you don't give up on that guy and you lock him up long term. Not long term. You lock him up. You keep him around and see for two years what you have. Sandine seems to think he's above that. And he's played a comparable number of games. But he is a little flashier offensively. Uh, He's also a little smaller, and he gets shoved around and can get pushed off the puck a bit too, but he doesn't back down. He's not afraid to to go into corners and stuff with these guys, but it doesn't often go well when he does. His skating isn't great, 
but it's passable. He has enough skill to make it work. He makes a very nice breakout pass. And at times, they were letting him run that number one power play unit instead of having Morgan Riley do it. So they were at least giving him a look. But as far as his numbers go, he's not that different than Lilligren. And he's only got about 80 games played. And so I think Dubas pretty clearly thought, I'm going to get this guy at about two years, 1.5 million, very similar to what I gave Lilligren. And we'll figure out what this is by then. Obviously, Giordano would be gone and uh, and we'll have a better picture on what Rasmus Sandin's going to be. But Sandin's not interested. Either because of the history that I mentioned a few minutes ago with the number of times they've blocked him out and the fact that he's sort of probably feeling blocked out right now. And because he just doesn't think the number's right. He's looking at, by all accounts, and Jonas Siegel wrote a very nice piece on this in The Athletic a few weeks ago. He's clearly looking at what Jake Bean got from the Columbus Blue Jackets, which was around, uh, which was two years at around $3.3 million, and what Ryan Lindgren got from the New York Rangers, three years and $3 million. And in terms of production and offensive numbers, they're not dissimilar. Um, Sandine sort of hangs there. But man, Ryan Lindgren's playing top pair minutes for the Rangers, which was a team that went very deep in the playoffs this year, a conference final. Um, You know, defensively, he is not yet what either of those guys have shown themselves to be. But he's seen that out there. He's holding his offensive numbers up. And no doubt he's saying, maybe they'd be better if you'd given me more opportunity. Because he is one of those young guys who, through the pandemic, the minor leagues have been screwed up. He's been jerked around a little bit. He's been on a bubble squad, whatever they were calling that thing, for a while. Um, And he's not the only guy in the league going through those sorts of things and that it's making some negotiations complicated. So he'll no doubt have, you know, an opinion on if you hadn't gotten in my way and given me more opportunity... Not only would my numbers be comparable to those guys, but my defensive results might be closer as well. You can make of that what you will, but obviously Dubis isn't buying it. He's saying, nah, two years, 1.5, you and Liljegren, pretty comparable at this point. And uh, honestly, you know, pretty strong similarities there as well. Um, You know, playing on the third pair mostly last season. This is going to get complicated. It already has. And if you like drama... If you want to draw another line in the sand here as to how this is going to get resolved or not, uh, Rasmus Sandin has the same agent, Louis Gross, as as William Nylander. Like I said, Gross. Uh, There's no guarantee. And in fact, Chris Johnston on his podcast earlier this week said he would not be surprised at all if Rasmus Sandin does not appear on the, uh, the first day of camp. I don't think Dubas is terrified of that. I think he'd prefer to get this done. I don't think he wants this to go sour. I don't think he wants this to go to a place where he's got to deal this guy. Because you're sort of dealing from... I think a lot of people expect that Rasmus Sandin could be a pretty good defenseman, but he hasn't shown it yet. And so no one is going to give you a fair price based on what you think his potential is. They're going to give you a price based on what he's shown so far. So you would not be dealing from a position of strength, especially if he makes it known that he would like to leave Toronto. That has not happened yet. But Kyle Dubas and Louis Gross have been down this road together before with Nylander and took it all the way to December 1st. I wonder if both of those guys in charge of this negotiation are already seeing the same kind of warning signs and and bracing for that. 
and whether or not that needs to happen or not, you know, if you've had the same fight with someone a few times before, um, you know, sometimes you just assume the outcome is going to be the same. And so you don't push as hard when you could to get this done early. That's just my speculation, of course. But as I said, uh, Chris Johnston reporting that he's not convinced Rasmus Sandin will be at, uh, at day one of training camp. And like I said, right off the hop, not a huge deal. This is more about saving the relationship than saving the Leaf season. I think Toronto is more than comfortable starting the year with Riley Muzzin and Giordano as your left side D. But long term, they badly want Rasmus Sandin to be back here. But for all the reasons we've talked about here, him feeling a little uh, discouraged and a little blocked out by the previous times that the Leafs have not trusted him, him seeing other defenders get paid more uh, who have some comparable numbers to him, and uh, Dubas thinking that he, you know, probably slots in closer to Lilligren right now than, than to a top pair guy like Ryan Lindgren, I doubt they're close. I think this is probably going to need a pressure point like the start of training camp or like the start of the season. Maybe like that December 1st deadline. And then what's his season look like, right? You've missed the first third. Guys have a really hard time catching up. It's not an ideal situation. But uh, but it was one I thought worth commenting on here. Like I said, those poor, poor undercovered Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, was worth touching on here. Like I said, uh, just wanted to, to touch base, talk a little Leafs. It's been a while since we've uh, put the focus on them around here, which uh, you guys know I like to do. Uh, don't forget, coming up on Tuesday morning, our pal Vanessa Sanchez will be back in the co-host seat. Looking forward to that. And uh, all the guests we mentioned earlier on uh, coming at you later in September. It's going to be a good month. Uh, hope you've all had a great summer. Hope you all enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and I hope you all have a great long weekend. My name is Matt Robinson. Give us a follow on social media at Audio. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're hearing us right now. We'll catch you all Tuesday. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun. But now the time has come to go. If this still cop was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Ugh.